The Bharatvarta Weekly is where we discuss the week's most relevant news and events in a calm, measured and interesting way, live with your favorite guests. So if you want to really appreciate the news and actually benefit from it, skip the news and watch the weekly. Namaste and welcome to the Bharatvarta podcast. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this lovely Sunday morning. Uh, I'm Roshan Karyapa. I have Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul as well here to run you through the news and events of the week that was. Nirav and Abhishek, before we get started, how are things with you guys? All good. Hey, Kari. Doing good. Yeah, uh, glad to have you guys uh, on another weekly. This is the 106th weekly. And, uh, you know, before we get started, let's talk about the episode uh, that we put out last week. It was pretty interesting with, you know, Surya Kanegaonkar and Jyotsna Mehra speaking about an Indian perspective on geopolitics. This was part of our Wellina's talk series. Abhishek, uh, did you catch the episode? Yes. So, yeah, very interesting episode. Uh, they covered a very wide array of topics, starting from, let's say, the Quad to the new emerging multilateral institution like I2U2, right? And also talked a lot about China and Russia, as well as Europe in terms of geopolitics, energy-related equations, and so on. So yeah, I would definitely suggest that those our viewers who are interested in these topics of geopolitics to definitely check it out. Yeah, what do you think about this, uh, Nirav? Yeah, no, so absolutely, as in talked about, so there are like a lot of geopolitics is moving, there's a lot of moving parts right now. And so things like I2U2, which is more on a trade perspective, Quad, which is more on a defense cooperation perspective, also mentioned things like AUKUS, Australia, UK and the US, and compared that with like China's Belt and Road Initiative, right? So I think it's a very informative episode going into the weeds, as you would say, right? And it's very like the landscape is pretty much open, unlike pre-1990, where it was just US block or the USSR block, etc. And the very, very weak non-aligned block. I think there are a lot of new formations happening. And it is very interesting episode. Like I would recommend all listeners to go listen to it. So just one thing I would probably point out, which I found really fascinating was, so Surya talked about how, you know, there is this discussion everywhere that, you know, the world is split between, let's say, democracies and authoritarian regimes, right? And he said how it's interesting that authoritarian regimes like Russia and China find it easier to cooperate with each other rather than democratic regimes, right? Because what happens is the internal politics of these democratic countries takes over, right? So, for example, you will find it much more difficult to you know, cooperate on things like energy, because the internal politics of especially the West, like right, where they are not so willing to, you know, even consider nuclear as a, a viable option. And, you know, the left of the West is, you know, totally sold on renewables and things like that, right? So things like energy cooperation also get uh, impacted by, you know, local politics of democracies, which make it harder for democratic countries to cooperate with each other. So I thought that was a very good point brought out in this discussion. Yeah, so we have an old friend of the podcast, Sata Khagrawal, on the comments. He's saying, monthly Sunday, conundrum again, what to watch, Bharatvartha or Monkey Bath, uh, uh, right? <laughs> so, well, uh, thanks for uh, choosing us, uh, Sartak. Uh, you, can, you, can play the, you can play both simultaneously, actually, right? I mean, so... Of one, so yeah, that's fine. You need not watch <laughs> Either monkey bath or us live. Yeah. Watch both. Yeah. Yeah, both India positive. So anyway. 
let's uh, move on to the first piece of news uh, you know this was uh, quite a storm on twitter as well last week the adani group has launched a hostile takeover of indi tv uh, initially adani will acquire 29.18% stake in indi tv through a company called Vishwa Pradhan Commercial Private Limited (VPCL), which has lent about 400 crores to NDTV's founder promoters Pranay Roy and Radhika Roy, the notice from VCPL is based on a loan agreement it entered into uh, with NDTV founders Radhika and Pranay Roy in 2009-2010. Following this transaction, AMG Media Networks and Adani Enterprises will spend 492.81 crores to acquire an additional. 26% stake via an open offer from the public shareholders of NDTV. If this takeover attempt succeeds, Adani will own about 55% uh, stake in NDTV. Neera, I mean, this has been building up, right? I mean, you can see how the stock has rallied over the last, uh, you know, five or six months. I think it was in the know for everyone. Uh, but I was, I was kind of amused that a lot of veteran journalists as well were, were pretty surprised and shocked uh, yeah. at the at the fact that this happened. So could you take us through you know, sure. you know how so, what are the mechanics of this oh yeah sure sure so basically ndtv you can say like public holding is about 38 and a half percent about 61 and a half percent is uh, pranoy roy his wife radhika roy and uh, they have a holding company called rrpr holding so that's rr for radhika roy pr for pranoy roy and rrpr had pledged the shares 29% of ndtv to get a loan of about 403 crores in 2009 and this was given by one company and then Adani has later on acquired Adani Media AMG has later on acquired this company right and under the terms of the loan either they have to pay up with interest for a 10 year loan or the lender has an option to acquire the shares right so what has happened is I think the shares in 2009 were worth a lot more now they've come down and uh, what Adani has done is like they've acquired this company and which gave them the option to exercise the shares. And so they've chosen to exercise it, paying up like, so whatever was worth 403 crores. And on the other side, Pranoy Roy and Radhika Roy have complained that, uh, oh, they were not in the know, etc. Most probably they should have been, but it was not done without with their consent. But the thing is that once you take a loan from someone having pledged the shares and having given the option for uh, them to buy, they expected that given the shares had fallen in value, that person may not acquire these shares, right? So uh, that was an assumption which they had. But Adani, either like instead of starting their own new media house, chose to exercise this. And then you look at the numbers. So they 29%, 29.18 or whatever, 29%, uh, they've acquired at 403 crores. But for the further 26%, they're trying, they're giving an open offer at 294 rupees a share, which was like 20% over the, the prevailing market value. So, which is for about 490 crores odd, right? So, this is one, I think this is much more common in the West, such hostile takeovers. But this is like a attempt being made by Adani. Uh, second thing is that there's a lot of accusation against Adani that A, they've grown too fast. B, Navadani is like the richest man in India, the richest man in Asia and probably fifth richest in the world. So they're getting into a lot of businesses which are unrelated, etc. So I think the whole saga is very interesting. I think this also needs approval from the regulators, etc. And the competition commission and whatnot. Also, there's a lot of criticism that Adani is trying to buy influence or buy out media by investing in this media house 
which has been very actually it has been very anti adani ambani uh, they've been more left leaning they've been left of center whereas the ruling bjp government as well as the big business houses as people say that they they are like more co aligned with the ruling party so that can be debated so this is a way of like buying out your critics right so that remain interesting another thing i want to talk about hostile takeovers like hostile takeovers a lot of times they've happened in the west there are a lot of times the management is very resistant to it sometimes the employees are very resistant you have like one example ongoing battle is uh, twitter and elon musk so there are I want, I want to highlight like three potential things which can happen one is the management tries to find another buyer so that's called the white knight right they try to find another bidder who will bid out from say adani and give a higher offer and try and like acquire the shares back right so that the control kind of remains with friends of say pranav roy radhika roy right so that is one option option number 2 is that they either this is has to be done sometimes very much in advance that they actually have a poison pill defense where they say that in case management changes then certain people need to be paid off a lot and or uh, so there is there are clauses in the articles of association of the company when it's formed that and these are not known until due diligence is done etc right so there's a poison pill at times that you kind of make the company worth a lot less than what the acquirer thought it would be right and either they have some contracts or some contracts which they have or some advertising contracts uh, which would lapse in case this gets acquired by by a hostile takeover the third one is actually you see that the employees the management etc probably you would see the leadership pranoy roy and radhika roy even though they have so 61 and a half minus 29 so yeah that's about 32 and a half percent between the two of them they themselves would try and sell their shares out and try and like exit the company because they no longer a majority stakeholder they might have built it up from scratch but they might choose to get out of the company and maybe build another media house on their own with the money that they've gotten right so these are a few things which could happen it's very interesting only like word of caution i think like hostile takeovers are a sign of like markets being at the top because somebody is very confident that they can take over a company and uh, still run it despite like large opposition from the ranks below and uh, two is that uh, these things can take a take a while right and third thing is we don't know whether is it cheaper to build up a whole new media house on your own or is it just cheaper to acquire another one right so i think there's a lot of questions it's a very interesting time uh, similar to like twitter and elon musk uh, there has been a lot of meltdown on like social media etc a lot of people are looking at it from an ideological perspective uh, that's saying that why does a person who is uh, not loved a lot on ndtv right gautam adani there are a lot of jibes on the ambani adani like earlier like people used to say billa tata now it's ambani adani uh, why is that person buying out like a media house which is probably one of the more hostile ones to him right uh, let's see how the whole saga progresses uh, abhishek maybe yeah. you can uh, add more on like the the deal is not yet done so yeah so in to add to what all you described right so there is an interesting defense being attempted by uh, the ndtv promoters who are saying that that they are, they will not be able to transfer the shares of rrpr to adani's immediately because uh, what has happened is that there is current they are right now in a two year period in which they have been banned by sebi from doing any activities right this is because 
both pranay roy and radhika roy were held to have you know done some insider trading in the last decade or maybe i think in, it's in the 2007 8 or somewhere around that where the sebi has held them that you know they had indulged in some kind of insider trading and due to which right now they are they are uh, till i think november 2000 you know 2022 they cannot uh, sell any of their shares or transfer any of their shares so this is an interesting defense that they have brought in and they are saying that since sebi has not cleared this sale they will not be able to do the share transfer uh, the adanis of course have said that there is no need of any such sebi approval for this transaction and this ban does not come into picture for this transaction so that will be interesting to see uh, what uh, sebi uh, says right now but beyond that i think you really hit the nail on the head that in terms of the wider interest it's more the ideological question that is uh, you know that is more interesting right as to why would the adani group want to take over ndtv and what changes if any they would make in the general coverage obviously there are two kinds of views i think some have pointed out that uh, they hold similar interests in other media like quint i believe uh, but quint hasn't really changed their editorial position at all since that change right and so whether you know the adani is simply want to buy ndtv because it's a business they like and in space they want to enter and in support of that is the financials right now that ndtv is doing quite well right in terms of profitability they they are pretty popular on the digital platforms as well apart from their tv channel so that's an argument in favor of you know adani is doing it purely as a business sort of point of view the other view is of course that this is uh in order to you know gain influence and i think i think all of us will agree that at the elite levels ndtv is sort of the uh, new york times slash washington post of india and at least it definitely represents the old idea of india let's say right in terms of the nehruvian gandhian consensus right that's how uh, ndtv has sort of positioned themselves and uh for example i think it it is said that you know when it comes to top bureaucrats or judges or lawyers of the country they are very much uh, you know consumers of ndtv right and ndtv is able to shape opinion right at the top of the food chain or pyramid in india right so um and definitely that used to be the case before 2014 right and while i would say ndtv's influence in policy circles is probably uh, diminished significantly since the modi government has come in but even then it kind of remains quite an influential channel and also uh, i would add that uh, adanis now have significant business interests outside india right and for example you would recall that they got really bad press for their mining interests in australia right so could a channel like ndtv help them out in you know countering those kind of things and uh, outside india is also something uh, worth uh, you know looking at 
Yeah, I think uh, you know a lot of controversy. Uh, uh, but this has been um, th- th- this happens everywhere, right? I mean, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos acquiring the Washington Post, for example, right? Uh, when you get to a certain size, I think you uh, realize that you need some leverage in the media, and this is a standard template that has been copied uh, pretty much the world, over, right? Um, uh, all of the media. Uh, um, houses uh, in any in, in anywhere across the world is owned by large conglomerates of business interests. Uh, yes, I mean obviously this calls for a certain amount of uh, introspection in terms of you know whether media is fair, biased, whatever it is. Um, but you know considering that you know we have so many different media channels and we have social media of course and alternate media and whatnot, um, right? I am really not. Um, so concerned in terms of hey i mean will this uh, sway narrative one way or another right i mean i think there are enough people writing uh, you know for and against the government at this point of time um, yeah I, I, one would argue more against the government than for right uh, in the media so so yeah i, I don't think uh, those concerns uh, uh, are really i mean so valid at, at this point of time right um and of course, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business, right? I mean, hey, they took a loan and they have to obviously pay back, right, in one way or another. So uh, what was surprising to me was, you know, some of these journalist folks, um, you know, expressing shock and all that, you know, hey, such a thing is happening in broad daylight. Like as though, you know, uh, Adani just walked in there with the, you know, the AK-47 and is like, uh, you know, bartering all of the NDTV wealth in, uh, you know, pub- in broad daylight, right? I mean, it's, yeah, anyway, it's pretty absurd. Uh, moving on, um, the CBI has raided 16 places in connection with an alleged land for jobs scam involving uh, former Bihar Chief Minister Lalu Prasad Yadav. Uh, during the probe, the, the CBI has learned that uh, Lalu's wife, Rabri Devi, and daughter, Hima Yadav, were gifted land in connection with the scam by job, spe- job seekers who were later appointed in the railways. Uh, the CBI registered a case against Lalu Prasad, his wife, uh, Rabri Devi, two daughters and 15 others, including unknown public servants and private persons, uh, about 1,05,292 square feet of land. Uh, immobile properties situated at Patna were acquired by Adam and his family through five sales deeds uh, and two gift deeds. Um, Abhishek, uh, Mr. Yadav is back in the news after a long time uh, for familiar reasons. So uh, both of us are '90s kids. We remember, uh, you know, some of this stuff uh, from earlier. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, uh, so supporters of Lalu Yadav will obviously point out at the convenient timing of the uh, news of this scam, right? Within weeks of the RJD coming to power, together with Nitish Kumar in Bihar, and so this sort of continues the. Uh, narrative that opposition parties have been uh, saying right in recent year uh, let's say months that the bjp government is basically using instruments of state like the cbi and ed to target uh, opposition parties having said that if the scam is real then it is real right and it's too bad that the timing is not convenient for the new bihar government uh, so as you said the case involves the let me let's call it quote-unquote celebrated period of Lalu Yadav as the railway minister of India, right? And I mean, I believe even Harvard had, uh, you know, uh, talked about uh, how Lalu Prasad has done wonders for the railways during his time uh, with uh, 
uh, you know bringing in things like the kulhad etc to the railway uh, railways but uh, the fact of the matter remains that government jobs and jobs in railways remain very coveted in certain places of the country like bihar and it's not surprising that this kind of a scam has emerged where uh, you know he was gifted or got land at discounted prices in exchange of giving you know jobs uh, to certain people and now it's up to the cbi which let's put it doesn't have a great track record in closing cases uh, it's up to the cbi to you know take this uh, case to the conclusion and uh, find the the people who are guilty right uh, and uh, prosecute them so yeah i mean uh, the rjd's image of being a corrupt party doesn't seem to really impact the number of votes it seems to gather in bihar especially in assembly elections uh, because you know they have a very sort of dedicated uh, vote bank or vote base so yeah i'm not sure if this will have too many political implications for the present government but possibly uh, lalu prasad yadav or certain members of his family may get into trouble uh, due to this uh, once the case is taken to its conclusion yeah uh, i i remember the howard case study specifically uh, by indian railways right and i also remember uh, you know uh, lalu prasad's speech in the parliament saying that he will uh, uh, produce a fruit tree which will uh, which will give fruits or something of that sort right i mean I, I think uh, if people were to search on youtube they will still find that clip it was pretty hilarious um yeah with the, i think it was dhanidhi maran just like falling over laughing in the background i think yeah on times so moving on uh, the indian high commission in sri lanka slammed um, certain remarks made by the chinese ambassador uh, in a strongly worded twitter thread late on saturday the indian high commission said it noted the remarks of the chinese ambassador chinese ambassador uh, chi jingong wrote in sri lanka me- sri lanka media about countries to quote far or near bullying sri lanka uh, the ambassador had also observed that sri lanka overcame aggression from its northern neighbor neighbor 17 times um, his violation of basic diplomatic etiquette may be a personal trait or reflecting a larger national attitude the indian mission said um, neither of this is uh, pretty interesting I, i actually saw an amazing tweet by ruchar sharma on this um quoting the you know aggression from the northern neighbor 17 times i think he had a uh, a gif of uh, bhagwan ram right uh, you know uh, <laughs> going to war in lanka right so yeah, it was hilarious so i think see the timing of this right so basically uh, india condemned china putting that uh, spy ship you know uh, in hamban toda port now that is probably in response see like china the way it looks at taiwan is uh, very different from way india looks at sri lanka right and when pelosi visited taiwan there's a lot of controversy so now china is trying to like flex its muscles so then it puts like a, a spy ship in uh, hamban tota port in sri lanka and then second thing is this has been a recent phenomenon in uh, uh, amongst a lot of chinese diplomats it's called wolf warrior diplomacy where they go off the rails and they say anything which can be kind of like denied by like the chinese uh, 
authority, the government. He says he's speaking on his own accord, etc. And uh, but they kind of say what uh, basically the leaders want to say, but uh, with kind of like uh, deniability later or whatever, right? So this is the comments which they made that uh, basically uh, Sri Lanka is being bullied by neighbors near or far, and it has seen aggression by its northern neighbors seventeen times. So right from the time of Ram, right uh, till probably whatever. Yeah, so I think, see, this is what he said. So the way Indian uh, embassy in Sri Lanka and Indian diplomats have responded, so on social media, they put out three tweets in three languages. So in English, in Tamil, which is spoken in the northern part of Sri Lanka, and Sinhala, which is spoken by the uh, majority Sinhalese population, right? Uh, they also said three things. Uh, see, Sri Lanka is right now going through like a crisis. Uh, Sri Lanka is having its own economic crisis, its own political crisis, and uh, maybe they're trying to play off their big neighbors. So not China is not exactly a neighbor, but uh, between the two to try and get a better deal for themselves in terms of aid. Uh, second, Sri Lanka has a lot of loans under the Belt and Road Initiative uh, from China. They already signed off a 99-year lease on Hambantota port to the Chinese authorities. So uh, what India has done is, that they've said that, see, uh, India ha has been transparent. India has been helping out Sri Lanka as a neighbor. And India is not doing predatory lending uh, with very onerous terms, right? And pointing, uh, again, all these things at China. And as I said, it's done in three languages. It's a strong language. It's also acknowledged that this could be either uh, done by the diplomat on his own volition, or maybe it uh, reflects what people think about uh, back home in China. But uh, India is put its case quite strongly. I think so uh, that is quite a nice thing. Uh, second thing is like for Chinese people to realize or like Chinese diplomats as well, that India does not have any plans of reunification with Sri Lanka, right? Uh, whether in the times of Lord Ram or now, uh, India didn't want to go capture and take over the territory. And uh, so I think that's another thing. So probably what China thinks with Taiwan, and I think they're drawing like false parallels, uh, but uh, it is what it is. Uh, it's a good thing. See, India is showing some spine. Uh, maybe India did not have as much leverage not to allow the ship to dock at all. But that is fair enough. I think some amount of spying goes along wherever you have to acknowledge it. You have to like figure out and protect yourself in either case, right? So uh, that is what it is. Uh, I think Sri Lanka is going to remain a battleground on these. Uh, between India and China, sadly. Uh, so uh, while this whole crisis is going on, both will buy for influence in the country. And uh, yeah, so I think we might see similar small episodes, but India should keep its stand clear uh, and uh, communicate openly. Uh, the other good thing is, so one other observation actually. So like Twitter and a lot of other social media platforms, right? They're all banned in China. Whereas, uh, the Chinese media, uh, so whenever all these Chinese diplomats, so this, while this was not on Twitter, but you've got like the Global Times, which is the uh, mouthpiece of the Communist Party, uh, they are spokesperson, who, Xi Jinping, etc. Whenever they put things out on Twitter, or when they put these things out, right, it is aimed more at a global audience, an audience outside China, right? So that's another thing to note. So similarly, like whatever Indian uh, uh, diplomats have said, uh, probably, I don't know whether it's done or no, but it needs to be also communicated in Mandarin on Weibo and other platforms. Probably it gets blocked there locally, but uh, 
that's the other thing but it's good that india has kind of like held its own ground and uh, it has said called out for what it was that this was violation of diplomatic etiquette uh, there's no need for one country to talk about the affairs between two other countries so i think that's that's what it is if china has any issues with sri lanka should take it to sri lanka directly china has any issues with india should take up with india directly right so what india and sri lanka do between them is a bilateral thing so uh, yeah uh, that's a good thing and uh, i yes, guess sure, you know the laws is yeah no sorry i mean i was saying one thing is for sure i mean i think over the last couple of years geopolitics has become super interesting right i mean even someone who was a passive observer uh, is getting sucked into you know the various uh, twists and turns um, yeah for sure uh moving on um, bit of a political hot potato for congress uh, jammu and kashmir uh, minister uh, or former minister i should say gulam nabi azad has uh, left the congress in a bombshell move uh, he wrote a five page letter to party chief sonia gandhi blaming rahul gandhi for the downfall of congress uh, he called him and to quote immo- immature and a non serious person surrounded by a coterie of psychophants wow uh, mr azad said that he will float his own political outfit with his, with its first unit in jnk in views of the impending polls there uh, though mr azad may have ruled out joining bjp for now both sides have dropped plenty of hints in the past about a possible alliance in the future uh, abhishek this is uh, well i mean it's a very strongly worded uh, letter right i mean i don't i don't think it any room for reconciliation um, right but uh, do you think that mr azad may you know step over to the bjp side or will for sure ally, ally with the bjp in elections there so uh, xyz political leader leaves congress is now a recurring theme for our weeklies right so <laughs> we've had uh, hardik patel ashwini kumar rpn singh sunil jakhad kapil sibal and just in this last week mr azad as well as another uh, politician spokesperson called javid shergil who left the congress or at least he's resigned from his spokesmanship and basically the uh, common uh, theme in all this is that you know they find that uh, the congress top leadership uh, some people mention rahul gandhi by name some don't but they keep it Uh, make sure that is the hint is clear that you know how rahul gandhi is running the party is uh, not very transparent it's not uh, dynamic enough as an electoral force he's uh, surrounded by yes men and psychophants who guide him in a certain way and do not take the advice and wisdom of uh, you know experienced leaders like uh, gulam nabi azad uh, uh, so yeah i mean uh, nothing really is surprising here i think uh, the congress party with rahul gandhi at the helm has taken a certain direction which is i would call it pretty hard left and the perception uh, in the common let's say let's say the middle classes of india or the general public is not very favorable towards that direction right now and it's also not very uh, geared towards electoral politics right now right it's sort of you could almost say that it is playing more towards uh, a western audience right sort of uh, so let's the criticisms of what uh, oped columnists uh, from western publications do is 
same as pretty much the criticisms that Rahul Gandhi uh, or his uh, group within the Congress generally uh, spouts in the media, right? So they'll talk about North-South divide. They talk about Hindi imposition. They talk about you know federalism and these kind of things, right? Uh, and so I'm not sure how much that is gaining traction uh, within uh, the public, but the fact remains that Congress only rules uh, two states right now, and they are pretty much at uh, a very low level, right, in terms of their overall trajectory, in terms of seats won uh, in Lok Sabha or the state assemblies, right? And so I would say that there is definitely a lot of uh, weightage to be given to the criticism by people like Gulam Nabi Azad who have been uh, loyal Congress members for a very long time. As to the future, as you said, he's right now said that uh, he will form his own political party. Uh, but I think it's a reasonable estimate to make that he'll probably ally with the BJP, maybe pre-poll, maybe post-poll, whenever elections happen there. Uh, but yeah, I think We'll all recall his uh, last day in Rajya Sabha had uh, very emotional speeches from various people, including Prime Minister Modi, right, who uh, complimented him for how uh, supportive he was during that uh, accident which involved tourists from Gujarat, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, um, there is definitely a possibility that his outfit will ally with the BJP in the future. Yeah, uh, I mean, they definitely share a very good relationship, right? Prime Minister Modi and Mr. Assad. Uh, you know, uh, during his farewell, I think uh, Mr. Uh, Modi had called uh, Mr. Azad a true friend, right? Uh, lauding him for very high standards as an MP and opposition leader as well. Um, yeah. Um, and also a couple of things like he, he is one of the few Congress leaders who got a Padma Award from this right under this yeah. government. So much so that uh, post his leaving Congress, people like Jairam Ramesh said that, you know, his DNA has got modified. So, <laughs> I mean, for the, they really find it hard to sort of digest these things. Yeah. No, I, I'm also reminded of this one line uh, Harsh Gupta, who's a friend, uh, uh, said in the debate with uh, Mr. Shashi Tharoor, right? Uh, the Business Today Summit. Uh, he said, um, India has not left Congress, but the Congress has uh, left India. And I think that's kind of true. I mean, uh, uh, whatever it is the Congress party uh, uh, talks about today, I mean, it doesn't mirror the aspirations or the reality of uh, uh, Indians, really, right? And uh, cause for a lot of introspection, uh, from there and for sure, right? Uh, by the way, if you haven't checked out the debate, uh, I encourage everyone to absolutely, absolutely check it out. It was on the idea of India and Harsh is, uh, as you guys know, really, really articulate, but this was especially even by his standards, uh, right? Um, props to Mr. Tarur for actually, you know, wanting to debate uh, folks on the other end of the so, spectrum. Yeah, I would say definitely this is probably the best uh, TV slash whatever YouTube debate in recent months that, you know, has come out, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, Shashi Tharoor, uh, he, he's sort of caught in a bind, right? Because 
it almost seems that you know he is always balancing what he should say as an intellectual and as a congressman and often times they are at conflict with each other so yeah tough tough spot for him but he's you know he he deserves props for being game enough to at least appear in yeah. these debates yeah no he's uh, he's done this in the past as well right i mean he is yeah. uh, you know spoken to vikram sampath jay sideepak and and they haven't really you know uh, been uh, I, i mean they they've, they've really given it as as good as it gets right i mean yeah. so uh, so yeah um well uh, on the geopolitics front uh, india and argentina have decided to enhance cooperation in the defense sector uh, during external affairs minister uh, mr s jayshankar's two day visit to argentina he reviewed the ongoing cooperation in strategic sectors of defense nuclear energy and space uh, mr jayshankar and foreign minister cafiero jointly presided over Uh, a joint commission meeting jcm between the two countries during the visit mr jayshankar also called on argentine president dr alberto fernandez um nirav what what do you see as the areas of overlap between india and argentina so actually uh, basically one is while argentina shown interest right argentina as a country has been a serial defaulter or debt so we should not get too excited about this part uh yeah uh, i don't so argentina is like a remote country shares borders just with like uruguay paraguay and like brazil and chile and all of them are like reasonably friendly to each other there is no, there is not that much hostility but what this is good thing is it's a signal so it's a signal that india has developed a world class uh, fighter aircraft called tejas uh, second thing is maybe argentina hopefully is the first of many so india has uh, grown quite a bit in gdp its defense expenditure has grown but india was reliant on uh, a lot of foreign imports right and uh, so maybe there are different different classes of uh, fighter jets uh, generation whatever 3 4 5 6 is like i think fifth generation aircraft is what like the us has but uh, so f35s etc but like uh, even the older generation aircraft or like which are not the most advanced they probably can do a good enough job right you need not want the best uh, uh, equipment or as like in the top gun uh, movie they say it's the pilot and not the plane right uh, so that's one thing uh, second thing is now india having large uh, requirements for its own defense things it can be a good exporter and probably india comes in with fewer strings attached i think right now doing business with ussr could anger your western partners your western partners if they give you probably it cost a lot more and they ask for their pound of flesh uh, china has been very famous for its own kind of like onerous terms which like sri lanka is realizing now right so here potentially this is a uh, india has to step in and uh, b uh, get into the defense exports business as well we are importing a lot maybe we can export some of our uh, things as well right so that's a very positive uh, development i think uh, there has been talk about the brahmos missile and vietnam being interested in some of those things uh, there has been talk about like uh, tejas aircraft also like with vietnam but like there hasn't been any concrete deal signed so uh, what i'm saying is while it's a very positive news it's too soon to say anything and uh, let's not count like chickens before they hatch right but uh, yeah it's it's definitely like a positive development and uh, hopefully first of many so i would just point out that you know typically tejas which is an lca right light combat aircraft 
is in competition with the joint uh, Pakistani Chinese JF-17, right? And that is also an aircraft which Argentina has been considering in the past. I would say, that in fact, that the JF-17 is probably the best area of cooperation that China and Pakistan have done, right? And that's also an aircraft which has got, uh, you know, purchased by various, let's say, lower or middle-income countries, right? Like Nigeria and thing, places like that. So, yeah, that it's probably a, uh, as you said, a signal, right? That the more interest they just garners from various nations, the better it is for its commercial prospects. All right. Uh, on that positive note, we come to the end of the weekly for this week. Uh, we have another couple of great episodes coming up. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Ashish, uh, who is an old friend of Bharatvartha. Uh, he's the uh, counselor for the permanent mission of India to the WTO. And we spoke about uh, how trade is important for India uh, and where we stand right now. What are those strategic initiatives uh, that really help us uh, in the in the Amrit Kal, right? Uh, so, so again, wonderful discussion, very thorough and very comprehensive. Uh, uh, you guys have heard Ashish plenty of times, uh, famous for politics, policy, and poha. Uh, we decided to focus uh, more on the policy element in this uh, um, uh, in this uh, episode. Although we did talk about a little bit of poha at the end, um, right? So, we also have uh, the scientist and author uh, Professor Gautam Desiraju on the podcast uh, this week. We'll be recording it uh, on Friday or Saturday. Um, you know, Professor Desiraju is one of the most highly cited um, uh, scientists in out, out of India. Uh, and uh, this should be a very interesting discussion on his new book, uh, Bharat, which is India 2.0. Uh, all right. That's about it uh, from us. Uh, please don't forget to rate and review us on uh, podcast platforms, like and subscribe on YouTube, etc. Uh, help the al algorithms recognize the good content, uh, right? And uh, look forward to your support. So thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, from Abhishek, Neerav and myself. Uh, thank you again. Uh, take care. Stay safe and Jai Hind. Thank you.